Greetings, ladies and metal gents, and welcome to this narration of the web novel, Humans Don't Make Good Familiars. If you're new to the series, there is a playlist listed down below. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Zuma's POV. Actually, we, we have... His life force is 500 Kalma and about 60 Delma. He also has a mana reservoir of 915, I told them. They both stood in stunned silence, probably deciding if they actually believed such staggering figures. How? Just... How? Bonpak wondered. Vindicta stayed quiet for a moment longer. She seemed to be deep in thought. Suma, uh, I don't mean to, uh... It's just, um, well... She stopped herself, like she regretted saying anything in the first place. What is it? I asked. N there are rumors. I didn't believe them, not until you said, uh, but I want you to know that I don't care about them, even if they are true, she stuttered out. Rumors? What rumors? I questioned. I don't want, and I don't mean to be, she tried to say, but Von Pack cut her off. She means the rumors about your familiar, Jake, being a Viking. I was stunned. How could anyone have known? I never told anyone. I'm fairly certain Jake hadn't either. That's not... he isn't... there's more to it then, I started, then stopped and sighed. Look, it's not what you think. So, uh, he is a Viking then, Vindicta said. Not exactly, I said. Is he or isn't he? It can't be that difficult, Von Pack declared. I decided to explain the way Jake explained it to me. The Vikings weren't, uh, aren't a race of people. They were a culture, a way of life. One that was abandoned long ago. Jake isn't descended from them. At least, he doesn't think he is, I explained. He doesn't know, Van Pack asked. I should have expected such a question from him. To nobles, lineage is a matter of pride. And thus, it is strictly catalogued, and records are well-preserved. Even as far back as the ravaging. That being the near-extinction event caused by the Chaos Dragon. To his people, lineage is less important. Only royals and nobility worry about it, apparently, I told them. And according to Jake, where you are from is more important than who you are descended from in most places. Oh, strange, Monpak said. So, what you're saying is, he's the same species, but he isn't actually a Viking, Vendicta said. Yes, I said simply. Well, that explains his aptitude for magic. His people must be, Monpak said. When I cut him off, magic doesn't exist on his world. They're both bow, dead silent. What do you mean? Vindicta finally asked after a long while. According to Jake, magic has never existed on his world before. At least, not in any confirmed cases. But he says there are stories of people who could use it. But that he had always just assumed that they were untrue tales passed down from ancient times. I explained. Oh... How does the world even do anything without magic? Von Pack wondered. I couldn't blame them for not understanding. I still had trouble wrapping my mind around it as well. In truth, uh, I'm not sure I could explain that. I'm not even sure I understand it, I said. With unimaginable amounts of manpower, violence and ingenuity, Jake said, rolling over, causing all of us to become surprised and our feathers to stand on end for a moment. Jake's Point of view. By the dragons! Von Pack shouted and beat his wings, causing him to flutter back slightly. Did we wake you? Vendict asked, 
Yeah, but it's fine, I said. How long have you been awake? Sue asked. Since you asked about the rumors of me being a Viking, I told her. Sorry, Vendicta said mournfully. It's fine, I can't blame you for being curious, I said. But now that you know the truth, how do you feel? You have been nothing but kind to me. You gave me a name, and you were attacked by those echo beasts, making sure that we all got to safety. I have nothing but gratitude towards you, Jake, Vendicta said. Hearing her say that put me at ease. I was worried she would be afraid or hate me. The Niemer view Vikings as monsters, so I wasn't sure how deeply ingrained that would be. And you? I asked, turning to Von Pack. The noble stayed quiet for a moment, perhaps pondering his own opinions, but he did eventually give an answer. I held judgment until given cause to be concerned. But it is true I don't care for your lax attitudes towards nobles. I do know one thing. You are a good soul. You have the power of a dragon, the potential ability to use the most devastating magic my world has ever seen, the strength of a monster, and all you have done with these things is join the army and try help your master fulfill her desires to become a healing mage. I have seen and undergone enough over the last hours to make me reconsider some previously held notions. I will leave it at that for now, Von Pack stated. I appreciated his honesty, but the way he spoke made it feel like he considered me some kind of world-ending event. I decided to let it be for now, and instead changed the subject. So, uh, should we head down the mountain? No, we think that we'd be best to wait up here for the night, then head back down in the morning, Zuma explained. Well, uh, we better get some firewood then, that way I don't have to maintain the spell all night, I suggested. Okay, Vindicta said, but, um... What is firewood? I sighed. It was going to be a long night atop this mountain. End of chapter. Chapter 63. Sumer's POV. Turns out firewood is exactly what it sounds like. Wood specifically cut to be burned in a fire. It feels like we are preparing for some kind of strange ritual. Vindicta pointed out. As she released her manor and let the bundle of logs Jake had cut with magic fall to the ground. He had found a tree that uh, looked dry enough, then used some kind of beam of magic energy to remove the branch and cut it into smaller sections. I know what you mean, Bonpack said as he carefully arranged the wood into a pattern Jake described beforehand. I can't say that I've ever had to do anything like this before. And uh, he cast that magical spell without uttering a word, Bendicta said. You must have taught him well if he can use shadow casting despite not having magic in his world. I, uh, I didn't teach him a thing, in fact. I think he has probably taught me more about shadow casting than I could have ever taught him, I said from my perch. My job was to be on looker while everyone was working, just in case. What do you mean? Bendik said. Jake taught himself shadow casting. In truth, I'm not sure I have ever heard him utter a single incantation, I told him. I should be surprised at that, but I am not, Monpak said as he lit the small pile of wood of flame. Even from my perch I could feel the heat begin to increase. Hot, he exclaimed and thudded back sharply, landing on another stack of wood behind him. How does he cast such powerful magic then, Mendicta wondered. He has his ways of imagining the spells and their effects. 
but also their processes. I would liken it to the way the rune crafter works, I explained. Does that mean that he can craft runes? Bonpak asked. He thought about learning, but didn't have time before we left for training, I said. Vindictor's point of view. Suma, Bonpak, and I were perched around the flames, talking. The warm glow of the fire seemed to illuminate in a way that Jake's fireball just could. The fireball was more of a penetrating brightness, but this was more like a living being. It flickered and popped occasionally at the base, surprising each time. Bandicta, I have some more logs ready. Jake called out from a short distance away. I left the warm flame, and as soon as I did, I noticed something I hadn't before. How cold the mountain was. It hadn't bothered me before, but now that I felt so warm and comfortable, the cold bit in my feathers. I wonder... Had I felt like this earlier, and just not known enough to care or realize, or had it really not affected me before, I landed beside Jake's pile of logs and wrapped my manor, what little I had, around them to pick them up. That should be enough for the night, Jake said, and picked up a few logs himself. We went over to the fire and dropped our logs a short distance away, then perched around the warming, golden, and sky-orange flames again. Ah, oh, that feels good, Jake said, sitting on a rock that he had rolled over earlier. He was rather close to it, though. I actually worried that he might get burned, but he seemed content. Aren't you guys gonna get closer? Are you kidding me? Bonpack scoffed. I can barely stand the heat from this distance. We'd all perched two or three times further away than Jake, due to the heat. Despite the fact that I was enjoying it, I couldn't bear to draw any nearer. Jake's POV Once the campfire was built up enough, I dispelled the fire. That left only the orange glow of the burning wood to light up the air. We all sat or perched in their cases and talked for a while. As we did, I would watch the fire to make sure that it was getting enough oxygen by wrapping manna around certain logs and maneuvering them into better positions. So, Jake... What is your world like? Bonpack asked. It's uh, pretty different from your world. For starters, we don't have magic, I told him. Yes, uh, Suma mentioned that earlier. But uh, what else makes it so different? He wanted. Well, for one, our sky is a different color. Yours is orange, but ours is a faded light blue, he said. Blue? Why is it blue? Bendicta asked, confused. Why is yours orange? I counted. Um, it's, uh, huh. I, I guess I don't know, she said. Our skies are the colors they are because of the gases that make them up. I don't know what makes up your world's air, but my world's earth is mostly oxygen, nitrogen, and carbon dioxide, as well as several others. The specific mixture of all of these gases diffuses more blue light than anything else. So our sky looks blue, and yours looks orange, I explained. They all seemed lost. I'm sorry, uh, I don't understand, Vindicta stated. One pack's point of view. We perched around the flames, listening to Jake attempt to explain something far beyond my comprehension. But by the dragons, there was no way I would ever admit that to them. Instead, I tried a different tact. Perhaps we should switch back to the original question, I offered. All right, sorry, um, I can really go off on tangents when it comes to science. 
Jake said apologetically. He thankfully went back to detailing what his home, Earth, as he called it, was like. To me, it sounded both like a utopia and like torture. He described a world where the dangerous and deadly diseases were being cured daily, where hunger and war were all but eliminated, and where most people didn't concern themselves with survival, but with enjoying their lives. However, he also told us of his people's long and violent history of weapons more powerful than anything shy of grand-scale tactical magic, and perhaps most horrifying of his people's switch from noble ruling class to elected leaders. For a moment, I felt sick. End of chapter. Chapter 64 Jake's POV. Night had come and gone. I got some sleep, but not much. We slept in shifts just in case the fire didn't keep all the animals at bay. I was third watch, so I ended up waking up quite early, and I have a bit of a hard time falling back asleep once I'm awake. So I just stayed up and talked with Vindicta since it was her turn on watch. Once the sun had come up, we all had some fruit that Suma grew from some seeds stored in my shoulder perch, then headed back down the trail. Careful on the rocks, they seem more unstable than they did yesterday, I said as I regained my balance after nearly falling on my butt. No kidding, one pack said, and here I was about to order Paxus to do a little dance, he said sarcastically. How is everyone's manner, by the way? Zuma asked the group. I'm still drained, but not nearly as bad as I was last night, Vindicta said, desperately clinging to Orgosa's saddle as she skidded around on the loose rocks. Although she didn't seem to be out of control. In fact, Orgosa was the only one of the familiars who seemed in her element. I am feeling better, but a few more hours of sleep wouldn't divert. Bunpak complained. Jake, Sim asked. I'm okay. I'm okay. I've been up long enough to not be too tired, I said. Our journey down the mountain was long, tiring, and did I mention long? Because it was, we had to stop, eat, and rest on five separate occasions, much of which I was the only one who could carry all three because their familiars couldn't go on. At least, the journey down was fairly easy, just time-consuming. It took hours, but eventually we made it back to the camp, Ah, there you are, the drill instructor called out as he landed on a perch near us. I was beginning to think that I would either have to get a search party together or start preparing your eulogies. Sorry, sir, we got caught, Simon tried to explain, but was cut off. If you have injuries, go to medical station for some healing. Once everything is taken care of, you can explain in full. Dismissed, he stated and flew back to the vine hut he came from. I see his concern for us has dulled his charm, I complained. We may as well go get checked out. It might be the only break we get until this whole thing is over, Vindicta suggested. We all agreed and went to get checked out. All of them were suffering from life-force depletion. Their manner was running dry, but no one had any injuries that weren't fixable. They each had a muscle strain, and their wings were a bit battered from flying in the cave and hitting the walls but nothing bad. I guess we should go give our report, I said. I started making my way there, and the rest flew, arriving much sooner than me. As we all entered the instructor's office, 
he offered the others purchase, then began asking us questions. Do you want me to make you a seat? Zuma asked me over our private connection. I'd like to try, if that's okay. I need the practice, I said. She nodded her head and refocused on the instructor. I'd seen the stun plenty of times, but never tried myself. I started channeling magic, then imagined the vines coalescing and twisting into the shape of a log. Nothing fancy, just a cylindrical bundle of vines. As I pictured this, the plants began to twist and conform to the shape in my head. I was ecstatic by the event, but when I looked around, no one had even noticed. Well, it's a normal event for them, I suppose, I thought to myself. I took my newly formed seat and resumed listening to the instructor and the others' conversations. And then a lady Suma summoned Sentinel to cover our escape from the cave, Von Pack said, after which I collapsed the entrance to the area and she unsummoned him. And I assume that you left that cave after that, the instructor asked. Yes, sir, Vendicta said. After we did, Von Pack collapsed the cavern so that the creatures couldn't follow us. But I thought you said that you were nearly out of mana, the instructor asked. Jake, uh, Sentinel lent him some, Vendicta said. Why do I keep using my familiar name? I asked Suma privately. It's a formal meeting. Why do you think Von Pack called me Lady Suma? She explained. We have to use our proper names. Which reminds me, she said to me and interrupted Van Dicta to address the instructor. Sir, we have something else to report. Recruit 6 has received a name. Van Dicta. The instructor seemed taken aback. I sent you into the forest on a retrieval mission, and you came back a day late, beaten to the dragons, and with a new name, he sighed. I now make a note of it, and send off the report to the Royal Citadel. Thank you, sir, Vendicta chirped happily. You'll still need to present yourself to the Grand Duke when you return, but until his approval or disapproval, you'll be considered a named Niema, the instructor clarified. Vendicta thanked him, and we got back to our report. We spent a solid hour being debriefed, and all I could think the whole time was how much I wanted to go home and shower. But I couldn't just yet. Okay, well, take a rest for a few minutes. The rest of the recruits are just about to start today's familiar combat training. End of chapter. Chapter 65. Jake's Point of View. You'll still need to present yourselves to the Grand Duke when you return, but until his approval or disapproval, you will be considered a named Niemmer. The instructor clarified. Vindicta thanked him, and we got back to our report. We spent a solid hour being debriefed, and all I could think the whole time was how much I wanted to go home and shower. But I couldn't just yet. Okay, I'll take a rest for a few minutes, and the rest of the recruits are just about to start today's familiar combat training. Suma's point of view. There were about 15 Niemma and their familiars currently present for today's combat training, including myself and Jake. I was perched on Jake's saddle, and he had, for some reason, begun standing incredibly straight. I don't know how he had the energy for it after we had spent all day climbing down Dragon's Horde. Today's exercise is to train your teamwork, not between your fellow soldiers and medic, but between yourselves and your familiars. The instructor loudly announced, Look out onto today's training area. You will see several metal dummies. Your goal today is uh, to land three attacks on the dummies. To be clear, that is three for you and for your familiar as well. 
You may achieve these attacks as you see fit, but be warned. He stopped talking. The dummy I was looking at suddenly started spinning and floating in the air. Then it began to shoot frames from its center mass. These dummies like to hit back, the instructor concluded. He's a rousing speech by asking who wanted to go first. I will, sir, one Niema volunteered. I didn't know his name, but it was the one with the black serpent familiar. A member of our last familiar training session's winning team. Step forward, Lauric Espala. The instructor said, take whatever position on the field you'd like and begin on my order. Lauric pulled his familiar saddle and flew to the boulder on the battlefield. His familiar went to the opposite end of the field and hid inside a pocket of tall grass. Then the back serpent did something I certainly hadn't expected. It disappeared. Now, uh, that is some good camouflage, Jake mumbled. I knew the black serpents could do such things, but I did not expect them to be so effective at it, I said, stunned. Seemingly, all the recruits were impressed with Lauric's familiar's ability. So much so that we were all ordered to be silent by the instructor. Begin, the instructor called out, and Lauric and his familiar which was now blending in almost perfectly with the tall yellow grass, went on the attack. Lauric flew high up and then dive-bombed straight at the dummy. Meanwhile, his familiar snuck up behind it. As Lauric was falling, he launched a fire spell at the dummy, engulfing the creation of flames for a moment. Just as he neared impact, Lauric flared his wings, cutting his speed, and pulled up and to the right, narrowly missing one of the contraptions, many segmented limbs that were splayed in all directions. Really, it appeared more like a bush without any leaves rather than a training tool. But the fire that shot out of its limb and burned Lauric's feathers told a different story. The serpent familiar cried out and launched itself through the air. Its body collided with the dummy and encircled it. Then it unhinged its jaw and sprayed some kind of green liquid onto the dummy before releasing it and retreating back to the tall grass. It had bought its master enough time to escape, and Lauric was back in the sky preparing another attack. This time, he attempted to use the ground and dirt by casting a spell to immobilize the device. Pillars of rock and dirt surrounded the dummy on all sides, then came crashing down on top of it, bending it to the ground and preventing it from flying away. Lauric wasted no time diving down for another attack, forming another fire spell and slamming the flames into the dummy. His familiar once again came out of hiding, but this time it wasn't for the grass, but from the one of the boulders Lauric had used earlier. Then it changed its color from yellow to brown to blend in, but was now dropping its camouflage and landing the final blow of the dummy. Impressive, the instructor called out to Lauric and his familiar as they approached and rejoined the group. Now who would like to go next? End of chapter. Sumer's POV Impressive! The instructor called out to Lauric and his familiar as they approached and rejoined the group. Now who would like to go next? Jake, do you want to go next? I asked him privately. He remained quiet for a moment. It thought, No, Let's see someone else go next and see what strategies work best against that thing, he suggested. I agreed, and we decided to wait. No, takers, the instructor called out. Well, then I guess, he started to say, 
But just as he did, a recruit flew up and landed with the rest of the recruits. Recruit, why are you late? The instructor yelled. Uh, apologies, sir, Nidiyama replied. I, I overslept and... The poor recruit tried to explain, but as soon as he said overslept, the instructors had heard enough. Oh, you were tired. <laughs> well, let's help you wake up. Summon your familiar recruit. You're next in today's battle exercises, the instructor ordered. Yes, sir, the Niyama said meekly. With that, he raised his wings and activated his summoning spell. It was an odd spell, as the magic circle didn't form on the ground, but in the air. And we all soon saw why. His familiar flew out of the magic circle, which was floating sideways in the air with surprising speed. However, its appearance was a real shock. Is that a flying fish? Jake asked, stunned. Ah, uh, it uh, appears so, I acknowledged, equally amazed. How is it floating like that? He wondered. It's just, um, hanging in the air. I have, have no idea. It, it doesn't make any sense, I stated. What is it called? Jake wondered. I don't know, the eye said. I didn't hear him call the name. He probably didn't give it one. No, I mean, what is the species name? He wondered. I don't know. I've never seen a creature like that before. At least not in the air, I told him. Get to the field, recruit, the instructor ordered. The Niyama and his familiar flew over to the training area and took a position together far away from the dummy. Begin, the instructor yelled. With that, the dummy began spinning and started to close in on the pair. This is where I realized something I hadn't before. I realized just how widely varied a battle against an enemy could be. When Laurek and his black serpent immediately began charging in and attacking the dummy, the Sneema and his familiar chose to attack from a distance. The fish, as Jake called it, took position between the dummy and its master, then immediately began attacking the dummy from a distance. It shot bolts of lightning from its mouth, which crashed into the dummy with frightening force. One, two, three times the creature shot its attacks, and each time it hit with unyielding precision. A flying fish that shoots lightning, Drake mumbled, probably as enthralled by the spectacle as I was. Now he only needs to land three attacks himself, I noted. It was then I noticed something interesting. The Niema was preparing to use combat magic. Jake, do you remember when I told you about combat magic? I asked. Uh, yes. Why? He wondered. I think you're about to get a demonstration, I said. I could tell what was going on. Combo magic is a technique all mages learn if they plan on getting or already have a familiar. We learn it at the academy, and it has two telltale signs. First, a magic circle is cast around both the master and the familiar. Second, a wave of mana travels down the circle's connection points from the familiar to the master. Both were occurring between the pair as we watched. The dummy was beaten down, parts were falling off, and it was only inches above the ground now. I can only imagine how much damage it must have sustained between this fight and Lauric's. Oh, forest, grow and spread at my command. Heed my call and ensnare my enemies. The Niyama began to chant. It must be a complex spell if he needs to chant, Jake theorized. In truth, it probably wasn't nearly as complex as some of the spells I'd seen him do, but I doubt he realizes that. 
lightning flow and penetrate this forest, become whole and raw. As soon as he finished his chant, vines erupted from the ground and entangled the broken remains of the dummy. Once it was immobilized, the vines began to explode. One by one, they detonated and released bolts of energy in every direction. In moments, the fight was over, and the dummy was defeated. Now that was cool, Jake smiled. Indeed, combination magic is a powerful tool, I replied. Good job, Rurkut, the instructor complimented. Now, who's next? Suma, I think we should go next, Jake stated. But I thought you wanted to wait and watch, I questioned. I did, but now I want to give it a go. Jake, remember, we can't use magic like that. Our combination would... I said, but he cut me off. I know, I remember what happened, but I don't want to do that. I just think that we can handle it, he said confidently. I thought about it for a moment and relented. If Jake thought that it was a good idea, I would trust him. Sir, my familiar and I would like to go next, I announced. End of chapter. Chapter 67. Jake's point of view. Sumo, I think we should go next, I stated. But I I thought you wanted to wait and watch, Sumo questioned. I did, but now I want to give it a go. I said. Jake, remember, we can't use magic like that. Her combination would, she said. But I cut her off. I know. I remember what happened, but I don't want to do that. I just think that we can handle it, I told her. She remained quiet for a moment, but relented. Sir, my familiar and I would like to go next, she told the drill instructor. All right, then. Take your positions on the battlefield and begin on my command, he acknowledged. Suma fluttered up to my shoulder and rested on the perch of my armor. Uh, so, Jake, do, do you have a plan? She asked as we approached the field. I do. This thing is weak to long-range attacks, and I think I have just the thing to get my strikes. I told her as I made my plan. Care to uh, enlighten me? She asked. I reached into my bag and pulled out a handful of steel ball bearings that I'd purchased a few days ago, after I had an idea for a spell. With these, I told her. She stayed quiet for a moment, looking a bit concerned if her tilted head was anything to go by. Jake, I know you're strong, but you realize that training dummy is made of metal, right? She asked. How do you plan on throwing those hard enough to do damage? I don't, I said. I explained my plan to her, and she seemed wary, but agreed to go through with it. If everything goes to plan, then we would both get our hits in, no problem. We took our positions, I was far away from the dummy, and she was covering me until my spell was done. It was a complex spell, like nothing I had ever tried before, but I was pretty sure that it would work. Once we were in our positions, the instructor gave the call to start BEGIN! As he said that, the new dummy that had been brought out lurched forward quickly, in fact. It was much faster now than in the other rounds. It rushed at Suma and started spinning its, uh, comparatively, huge metal arms around. She flew straight up and began her half of the plan. Meanwhile, I began my half. She wasn't much of a fighter, but she didn't need to be. She just needed to buy me some time. Fly, crimson bolt, she yelled and cast a spell. Her lance of fire, just like the one she'd used when that magistrate attacked us, flew at the dummy. I had expected it to slam into the dummy and score her one of her needed hits, but instead the thing suddenly leaned and narrowly avoided being hit. It was like some kind of spinning top of doom, the way that it was moving and twirling. Fly! Crimson Bolt! 
She yelled again and launched another attack. Once again, the dummy judged. While this was happening, I was focusing on the force and the spell. There are four fundamental forces in the universe. The strong force, the weak force, gravity, and electromagnetic force. Of these four, I was attempting to manipulate the final one. I've been preparing for the spell for a while now, studying military documentaries about the technology and looking up videos on the internet to gain a better understanding. I started by envisioning the target becoming magnetized and drawing the ball bearings closer as they approached. Then I used magic to create a kind of rail system along the path I wanted the ball to follow. As the ball would go, it would be pulled along by electromagnetism through the air and suspended with my manner. But that is where the documentaries and I began to split. Technology had its limits. Pulling something with magnetism is easy, but switching the polarity at a halfway mark is nearly impossible. Unless you have magic. While the spell was pulling the balls along with magnetism, it would also be generating a reverse polarity behind the ball, driving it forwards. Jake, how much longer? Suma asked as she dodged a flame attack from the dummy. No! Dodge! I yelled and took aim. The spell was different, unique, and hard to imagine. I needed something solid to picture as I cast it. Suma had mentioned that her people did this occasionally too, so I thought that I would try it out. Rail gun! I proclaimed and activated the spell. Suma's POV. Rail gun! Jake yelled as his spell activated. I had already moved from between him and the dummy, and I was soon very glad to have done it. His spell was strange. I could feel some magical energy building up. But it wasn't very much. Certainly not enough to destroy such a large enemy. A glowing path of light appeared and connected Jake and the center of the dummy. For a moment, I expected some kind of fire spell. But I didn't actually see the attack. Before I had time to realize what had happened, the training dummy exploded violently into thousands of pieces. A roar like thunder shot through the air, and the blue path vanished. It startled me so much, I lost my concentration and nearly stopped flapping my wings. There was literally only scraps and splinters left of the dummy. Stop! Stop! The instructor ordered. I landed on Jake's shoulder, and the instructor yelled for us to get back to the group. End of chapter. Part 68. Suma's point of view. What were you thinking? The instructor yelled. You used a tactical scale magic in a training session. Well, on a training field. We were being chastised with Jake's attack spell. I think he called it Railgun. You annihilated a training dummy. I don't even know how that was possible. It was made of metal. Sir, uh, I apologize, I, I didn't realize, Jake started to say, but the instructor didn't let him finish. Enough, Cadet Suma, he is your familiar, so this is your responsibility, he declared. I said, as he landed on a perch next to the instructor. He was shorter than the instructor and darker in color, but obviously he outranked the instructor. Members of the King's Armed Forces, once they had graduated from basic training anyway, all wear gold symbols on their chests to display their status. For a private, just out of training, the symbol is a single golden line worn horizontally. For the next two ranks, an extra line is added above the first. This Niema was a major, which I knew because he wore three triangles on each chest, where the instructor only had a single circle. 
Major, the instructor said and stood straight up in his perch. His feathers slightly raised from surprise. Sir, I apologize for my inability to properly control and discipline my cadets, he said. No need for that, Sergeant. At least, not yet, the Major said and turned to face Jake and I. So, uh, which one of you was it that cast the tactical magic? I thought I heard that the familiar was a bookcaster, but I could have been mistaken. Or at least, that's what my common sense wants me to believe. It was me, sir, said Jake. He was stood stock still and even straighter than the drill instructor. His arms were behind his back, and one of his hands was wrapped tightly around the other arm's wrist. I'm sorry, sir. I didn't realize my spell would be so powerful, Jake explained. I admit when I first noticed Jake's spell, I was convinced it wasn't going to be enough. Or at least, nothing special. It used so little mana, after all. I still don't understand how the spell was so weak could have produced such an effect. What is your name, if you possess one? The Major asked. Strangely, he seemed unfazed by Jake's ability to speak. So far, most Niamh we have encountered have been caught off guard by it. Having a familiar with the ability to speak is almost unheard of. Outside of children's stories, anyway. So the mage's ability to take it in stride was fairly impressive. That's uh, a complicated answer, sir, I told the major. Simplify it, he said plainly. Jake, this is a major, I said to Jake over our private connection. We should use your familiar name. That's the proper protocol, he agreed. My name is Sentinel. Jake told the Major. Well, Sentinel, who was it that taught you tactical magic? The Major wondered. Actually, this is something I hadn't thought of. I just accepted it on account of how powerful Jake is. But who did teach him that spell? It certainly wasn't me. Only the highest level of mages are even allowed to attempt to learn it. I created the spell myself, sir, but it was based off knowledge from my world, Jake explained. I'd figured that would be the case that it was something from his world. But I didn't expect him to be able to actually develop the spell alone. Most tactical magic requires teams of Niyama from all walks of life working in tandem for months or years to create new tactical spell. You and who else? The Major asked, obviously not believing Jake did it alone. No one, sir. I did it alone, Jake told him. The Major seemed irritated, whether by Jake's answer or by the thought that a single person could create tactical magic all by himself. I couldn't tell. Do you expect me to believe that a single familiar was able to develop, test, and successfully utilize tactical magic all by himself? The Major asked in a quite serious tone, his feathers pressed closely to his body. It's the truth, sir, Jake responded. There were a few long moments of quiet while the Major stared at Jake. Sentinel, follow me. He turned to the instructor. Sergeant, continue your class. Now, I assume you are this familiar's master, he asked me. Yes, sir, I said. Please follow me as well. The Major then spread his wings and took flight. I followed him and Jake walked after us quickly. We landed beside a large drake who had a narrow saddle on its back between its wings. We were perched on a few moldered vines, and when Jake arrived, he opted to sit on the grass. 
I don't know how he was comfortable like that, though. His limbs were twisted and interlocked, or a crisscross applesauce, as he once called it. Sentinel, how would you feel about joining the Wyvern Brigade? The Major asked. End of chapter. Chapter 69. Jake's Point of View. I sat on my bed at night, thinking about my earlier conversation with the Major. He said, You and Madame Sumer would be excellent candidates for our program. You have unparalleled magical prowess, the ability to cast tactical grade magic without anyone assisting you. And you, Madame Sumer, you're an excellent healing mage. We're always on the lookout for those, especially ones with names. I am sorry, sir. Uh, who exactly are the Wyverns? I asked. I've only heard of rumors myself. I didn't believe they actually existed. Sumer said in awe at the realization. What rumors have you heard, Miss Sumer? The Major asked, interested. It might have been his first opportunity to get an outsider perspective on his team. Or maybe he just liked hearing what people thought of them. That they are some kind of special team of majors, each with powerful and unique familiars. They go on the kinds of missions most people don't survive. I've heard their power and effectiveness, not to mention their magical strength, is likened to the descendants of the dragons, Simon told us. A well-earned reputation, I assure you, the major said pridefully. And I want you two to try out for the team. That conversation was nearly four hours ago, and still bouncing around in my head. He explained to us that there would be a kind of a tryout, held in twelve days. Any member of the army, new recruit or otherwise, was allowed to try out. But if we did succeed, we would still need to pass boot camp to actually be accepted. Sumer and I talked about it, and told the Major that we would have an answer for him in two days. We both needed time to think about the offer. My train of thought was interrupted by the ringing of my phone. My mum has started calling me every night now that I'm spending more time on Earth. Hello, I answered. Hi, Jake. I just wanted to call and make sure that you were okay. You didn't answer your phone last night, and I got worried. Mum said sounding relieved the night picked up. I'm fine, Mum. Couldn't leave Sumer's world last night because they got themselves into a pickle. I needed someone to help them out. I ended up camping on a mountain because of it last night. I explained the whole series of events to her, only leaving out the part where I got bitten by a giant ant reptile thing and paralyzed. Well, I'm just happy the cave didn't collapse on you or something. They really should have thought their plan through better than that. I thought you said that they were trained professionals, Jake, she complained. Well, trained for healing, not cave exploration, I said, but they did okay for the first time. Zuba's point of view. I laid in my nest under the army-issued top that blocked out some of the light from the stupidly bright magical laces running through the floors and ceiling of the underground sleeping area. The conversation Jake and I had with Major wouldn't leave my thoughts. He wanted us, or more realistically, Jake, as a part of the Wyvern's team. I'm no fool. I know I was only offered this because Jake is my familiar, and they can't only offer it to him. But that didn't mean that it wasn't going to affect me. I would have to go on missions with Jake, as I am the only one capable of summoning him. So, that means I would end up going on quite dangerous missions to places where I could be killed without even knowing what was happening. 
I signed up to be a healing mage. I expected to be put into dangerous places, doing dangerous things. But I never once considered that I would end up on the front lines. The thought was frightening. But another part of me said something different. A small part of me wanted to go. Wanted to be a part of something bigger. Wanted to do something that would make a difference in this war. I fell asleep thinking about my feelings and about how my life would change if I acted on those feelings. Larica's Bala's point of view. After the Major flew away from the training area and the one called Sumer and a Viking, the rest of the cadets finished one by one their combat maneuvers. We were dismissed for a short time so that we could eat, and during my lunch break, the Major approached me and made me an offer. He wanted me to join his team. Or rather, he wanted me to audition for it. He called them the Wyverns. I had heard of the team before. My father mentioned them on several occasions while in business dealings with other nobles. I had always made it a point to attend those meetings so as to further my understanding of the country and its laws. I accepted the Major's offer without a second thought. I joined the army in order to serve. This was just a better way of doing so. I had twelve days to prepare myself and my familiar for the tryout. Of course, this raised an issue. When he pulled Suma and the Viking aside, he most likely offered them a chance to audition as well. And why wouldn't he? Even I must admit, I did not expect to see tactical level magic to be utilized during a training mission, and by a single familiar, no less. A troublesome duo, I mumbled as I grew my lunch. Jake's point of view. It was time. Suma and I had discussed it before today. I sat in the therapist's office building, waiting to be called back for my appointment. I had let her know that I was bringing Suma to see her, but obviously, that was a small lie. Suma was still having issues with what happened that day in the alley, and I figured that the stress from our upcoming decision might be a lot for her to handle. So I talked to her, and she agreed. We would be summoning the doctor to see her. Jake, the doctor is ready for you. The receptionist announced. End of chapter. Chapter 70 Jake, the doctor is ready for you, the receptionist announced. Thank you, I said and walked to our office. We had several meetings since the first time after the attack in the alley, so I didn't need to be led to our office anymore. I knocked on the door and walked in. Hey, Dr. Maxwell, I said. Hello, Jake. How have you been? She asked, smiling. I've been good, been getting lots of exercise and stuff. I told her and sat on the couch. I'd been preparing for this for a while now, planning what I was going to say and how I was going to say it. So, what's new? She asked and took a seat in the chair opposite me. Well, actually, do you remember my friend I told you about? The one who was with me in the alley? Suma, I asked. I do, she said. Why? She wants to talk to you. She's been dealing with a lot of stress lately, and recently she and I were both offered a pretty major decision that we need to make her. I thought that it would be a good idea for her to talk with a professional about it, so I reminded her of your offer, I explained. Ah, well I'm happy to see her whenever she needs, Dr. Maxwell said. That's uh, great, because uh, she wants to see you now, I said. This was the part I was dreading. This was the part that would make me look crazy. Like, no, is she here? The doctor wondered. In a manner of speaking, yes. 
I took a deep breath and began my pre-rehearsed speech. Okay, so this is gonna make me sound crazy, yeah. But in order for you to see her, we need to hold hands for a few seconds. Sumer is actually a magic user from another world, and um, she is also a tidy bird person from a race called the Niema. In order to get to her, we hold hands, then I'll contact her, and she'll summon me. Then we will be transported to her world. From there, she'll induce a mind link and show you some of her memories, and that will allow you to understand her. I gasped deeply to regain my breath after that long an explanation, and waited for her response. After a few moments of silence, she finally answered, Okay? I was stunned. I couldn't believe that it was that easy. You, um, you believed me? I asked, doubtful. No, but I do believe that letting you try will help break your delusion, and then we can treat the underlying problem. Honestly, I can't believe I didn't realize how precarious your mental state was. So, if letting you hold my hand for a moment is what it's going to take for you to start healing, then I am willing to entertain you for a few moments, she said. Honestly, I couldn't blame her, but at least she would let me try. Thank you, I said. Suma, you can summon us now, I announced after I held the doctor's hand. Now, doctor, don't freak out when your arms and legs start to vanish. Oh, okay. Oh, I won't. She reassured me. A second later, her feet had already been fully transported, and so had the top of her head. She looked horrified, probably because she was seeing it happen to me, just as I was watching it happen to her. Needless to say, she panicked. Suma's point of view. Suma, you can summon us now, Jake announced. I'd only been waiting on his signal for a short time, but it felt like ages. I immediately began the summoning, and as soon as it was completed and they arrived, my ears were filled with sounds of distressed shrieking. I couldn't understand what the person was saying, but they seemed upset. Jake tried hard to calm the woman down, though. I told you what would happen. The woman gave some kind of response, a rather loud one at that. Yes, but you can't say I lied, or that I didn't make it clear. There was a moment of silence as the two stared at one another. So, uh, this is Suma, Jake said, gesturing at me. Hello, I greeted, but then remembered that she wouldn't be able to understand me either. I went ahead and started sharing my memories, so that we would be able to understand each other. She seemed surprised and began saying something again. I told you, remember? She would share some memories so that you would be able to understand her language. Don't worry, doesn't hurt. Jake tried to reassure her. It seemed to help. However, slightly. Done, I said. I had showed her all the way up to just after I was released from the interrogation room. That way she would understand how everything happened. Jake had suggested the idea. That bird talks. End of chapter. Chapter 71. Suma's point of view. It sounds like you've been through a lot. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think about it all? The therapist, Dr. Maxwell asked, after she had calmed down and understood what was happening. She seemed eager to talk to me and help me if she could. She was sitting on a pillar of vines Jake had made for her before giving us some privacy and went outside for a while. I suppose the first thing that I think of is what happened in... Uh, no, that's not true. The first thing I think of is my parents, I said. 
Your parents? Can you tell me a bit about them? In what context? However you want. I thought about her request for a moment. Well, my mum is... protective. When I told her I volunteered for the military, she became quite upset. My dad is... Uh, my dad has always been distant. Well, that's normal, I guess. Normal? Dr. Maxwell asked. How so? Well, fathers rarely have anything to do with their children. Is that normal on your world? She wondered. Oh, yes, but my family has never really been normal. In one way, well, most Nehemiah raised by only a single parent, usually the mother. It is rare occurrence for the father to be involved in any significant way. I see, she nodded, that she understood. And how do you feel about that? Or, more specifically, how do you feel about your father? I love him. He's been with me my entire life, but our relationship has always been strained, I explained. And why do you think that is? I don't know, really. Maybe it's because we are too different, or too similar. Sua, I have a question, yes? After your attack, what did your parents do? Dr. Maxwell off softly. They, uh, they didn't come to see me for a while. They disappeared from my life for nearly a week. When I asked them why, I could feel my heartbeat increasing as I spoke. I was getting frustrated, just thinking about it. When I asked them why, they said that it was because they were afraid. Afraid? She sounded confused. Afraid of what? Of you? No. Afraid of Jake. Jake, uh, who had protected me. Who has stayed with me without leaving my side for even a moment. Jake, who comforted me when I thought that I had been responsible for killing someone, even though he himself was also suffering in the same way. And they were afraid of him. Jake's point of view. I walked around in Suma's training camp while she talked to Dr. Maxwell. It was surprisingly large, not in height, but rather it was all spread out. I guess they made sense though, seeing as all Niamh could fly. I heard voices in the distance, both of which sounded familiar. Walking towards them, I saw Vindicta and Von Pack perched outside the tent made of dirt that connected to a large earthen dome. Hey you two, I announced. Oh, hello Jake, Vindicta said. Greetings, Jake, Von Pack said, but he sounded a little less enthusiastic. What are you doing here? Training ended hours ago. I would have assumed that you would have gone home by now. Yeah, but Suma needed me for something, so I came back for a bit, I said. And where is Suma? Normally you two are all but inseparable while in camp, Mendicta pointed out. She is talking to a friend. I'm giving her a few minutes alone. Why not just send you back then? Surely you would rather be in your world than ours, especially if you were limited to a single trading camp, one pack questioned. That's, um, a long story. But the short and sweet of it is it's safer if I stay here for a while while they talk. They seemed confused, but didn't press the issue. Instead, I asked them a question. So what are you two doing outside alone at sundown? I teased. Um... Nothing. We're just talking, Vindicta did, he yelled. I smiled at Von Pack, who avoided my gaze. Well, I'm gonna go explore the camp a bit. I almost never see anything other than the training area, after all. See you two later, I said, and beat a hasty retreat from the two embarrassed nymphs. I continued looking around the camp and saw another Nyama sitting outside another dome. It was the Nyama from the other day's training. Hello, I called out. He looked around confused until he eventually saw me. You're Laric, right? I'm... I didn't get to finish as he immediately spread his wings and flew away. 
I'm kind of offended. Wow. End of chapter. The algorithm reckons you should be watching this video next, and I recommend that you should be always watching my video. So, click, click, click. With energy! And yes, clicking that does help the channel. Thank you very much. I'd just like to thank the T5 members and Patreons. Alithia, Barky, Fudic Yol, Meridian117, Cam Maxwell, Casper, Arnholtz, Albarden, Gusta, Lord Ashrakal, and White Van 420.